This is episode 130 of the IDRA Class Notes Podcast. Substances really refers to the richness of the conversation, the meaning behind it, and the richness of the context in which it's being discussed. It is not rote memorization, regurgitation of facts that they learned yesterday. It is taking the information that they have internalized and using that as a platform to discuss the what-ifs so that you begin to utilize and manipulate the information in a way that makes learning understandable in the context of real life. Welcome to IDRA's Class Notes. This is Aurelio Montemayor, and today I'm talking to two colleagues, Veronica Betancourt and Paula Johnson, both very, very skilled teachers, math, science, and other subjects. And we're going to get into conversation. Today is about substantive conversation in the classroom. And so first I'm going to ask you, when you say conversation, give me some synonyms. What do you mean by conversation? Whose conversation are you talking about? Well, because we know that conversation can be many things for other people. In this context, we are talking about conversations primarily between students. In most teaching situations, the teacher talks 90% of the time. The questions that we ask our students are usually very close-ended, and we don't give a lot of response time. The technique of using substantive conversations is where the teacher puts a question out to, say, a particular student. That student is processing and responding, but rather than the teacher coming back to themselves and adding to it, they ask another student to either reflect on, kind of uh, restate, review, or add to what another student has said, and that moves on. Veronica, tell me about the word substantive. Why do you use that word? Substances is really kind of refers to the richness of the conversation, the meaning behind it, and the richness of the context in which it's being discussed. It is not rote memorization. It is not regurgitation of facts that they learned yesterday. It is taking the facts or the information that they have internalized or been presented with and using that as a platform to discuss the what-ifs, to discuss the how-comes, to discuss the what-happens-when, so that you begin to utilize and manipulate the information in a way that makes learning understandable in the context of real life. You know, as someone who goes back to a time where you would hear a teacher just saying, quiet, quiet, class, quiet, class. In other words, as if for a certain teachers or traditional teacher, the students talking was a disturbance, you're flipping this on its head. You're saying they should talk. Absolutely. In some of our training sessions with teachers, we've actually encouraged different types of student talk. And one is, it's coined turn and talk. It's what? Turn and talk. Turn and talk. Again, most of our practice includes posing a question to a particular student and getting a response. Now we are trying to move to a situation where you pose a question, let it hang in the air for a minute, and then ask students, turn and talk to your neighbor about what the implications are or how do you think this problem could be solved or getting kind of like their background understanding or how they are thinking about what you're presenting before you move forward. So rather than just going, okay, the answer's five. 
you want to find out what ways are they thinking about this? How, how do they see it coming out? And then when they've talked to each other, that also kind of loosens them up. So that when you ask someone, they've already talked to another student. They've talked to a peer in a very non-judgmental situation. And they're maybe willing, because then you can say, well, what did the two of you share together? You know, what would you like to say about your conversation? They feel a little more confident because I've already talked to someone and we kind of agreed. And this is what we think. And if you do that in an environment that doesn't make them feel hesitant to answer, that it's okay if I'm not quite right, but I'm just giving my opinion and you're not going to like mark me, Mm -hmm. you know, down five points, that I'm more willing to participate and it gets more students to participate. You know, this is interesting because the example you gave was the answer five and math was the last thing I would have thought of for student conversation. All right, for language arts, for English, maybe social studies. But Veronica, for across the board for science and math, you're saying for something that has like two plus two is four, I mean, what conversation could there be about that? That's an excellent point. And to kind of bring to light the importance of it is to say that number reasoning and understanding functions in mathematics and understanding how theories are developed in science and why certain absolutes have been become absolutes because they've been tested over time. To have that conversation and talk about, well, what if and how come, it provides the perfect scenario to have those conversations because what you're doing is you also have the ability as an instructor to listen to the conversation. Are they using the appropriate vocabulary? Is it being used in context? How are they connecting the ideas together? What are they doing with those ideas? How does their culture play a role and their understandings from their home play a role in the reasoning skills they have to answer whatever question you have posed? Hmm. What kind of cultural blend occurs between the culture of the context, such as math and science, and the culture of their home? And what does that look like in terms of their problem-solving abilities? And how do you address that and help them to see how to speak, think, and talk like a mathematician or a scientist? But, you know, both of you ladies, the way I'm hearing it, you're talking about different kinds of conversations or conversations for different purposes. Absolutely. Like, give me some of those. Well, okay, in problem-solving. Mm-hmm. Primarily, math is about problem solving. So even you mentioned the simple question like 2 plus 2 equals 4. Mm-hmm. We take for granted that 2 plus 2 is 4 because we know that as a fact. However, it in the younger grades, it leads students to be able to justify their answers. So when you start with the question as simple as 2 plus 2 equals 4, having a student tell me, or if a student tells me, yes, 2 plus 2 equals 4, and I go, that is correct, now tell me why. Talk to your neighbor about why 2 plus 2 must be equal to 4. We know it's true. Now, why is it true? That extends the thinking beyond just the fact-based information. Now they have to think, well, wait a minute. Why is 2 plus 2 equal to 4? Well, what is 2? Okay, 2 is 1 and 1. So they can either use concrete models like blocks in a younger grade, or they can use variables as they get older. They can use pictorial representations. But they can list, okay, these are two things. And if I add, well, what is the definition of add? Add means to combine, to put together, to total. Okay, and I have two more. Like, that sounds like such an expanded definition of why 2 plus 2 equals 4. But when a student can explain to me how they arrived at their answer, Mm. that's so much better than the answer itself. So what are some other 
points, Perik. To speak to what Paula was saying, I think that one of the most important things is understanding what contexts require what kinds of conversations. Okay, yes. And so, in, for example, a history class, we can't change history. It is what it is. Mm-hmm. However, you can have a discussion about what does that mean in terms of current decision-making? What does that mean in terms of our society today? How did what happened influence what's happening now? And you can then really see how students bring to light and kind of bring that history into the present. Well, you can ask, why did people do those things? You know, mm-hmm. in other words, you hear Robert E. Lee was general in the South, but why did they do that? And so that there's obviously many critical questions that, that can be thrown out in the history lesson of social studies. I want to get back to science because you were talking to before, let's say, Water is H2O, right? That doesn't change. So what's the conversation you would want me to have about the molecules and about water? What's the conversation I could have? I think one of the most critical conversations that can be expanded on the idea that, you know, H2O is water. Mm -hmm. Almost everybody knows that, even from like the movie The Water Boy, you know. I think that what you can do with it is have a conversation about the properties of water and how does it affect certain things. So we know that if we put something in water, it begins to smell after a while. Mm-hmm. Why? You, how would you come to a conclusion that it could create some kind of a smell? What does that mean in terms of chemical reactions? What does that mean in terms of decomposition? Okay. What about water in terms of its properties on itself? What's the difference between cohesion and adhesion? How water be, is able to stick to itself, and if you were to drop droplets on a penny, it creates a dome. Mm-hmm. Yet... That would be one type of property versus how it sticks to a windshield when it's raining. But rather than the teacher saying these things, you want mm-hmm. the students to talk about it, to mm-hmm. discover it, to have critical So you might, you might say, if adhesion is the, a property of water to stick to other things, what are some examples that you can mm-hmm. think of where water does this? Talk to your neighbor about it and see if you can come up with at yeah. least five different examples. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, let me list on a PowerPoint or write on the board so you can put in your journal right. what these five examples are. Right, which is the usual. You're used to that. Right. You know, you're Be- given a list, a formula, something. Because you tap into student voice, mm-hmm. and you tap into the background knowledge that they bring. You tap into their experiences. And most importantly, you, you really are able to tap into their culture and kind of celebrate that. Because you're saying, how does science play a role in what you understand mm-hmm. about the natural world? I was going to add to that. All of the things that we hear from, say, the the business sector about things that students need as critical skills when they come into the workforce, a couple things that I've heard from companies like Texas Instruments, a lot of technology kind of STEM areas, they talk about students not having enough experience working in teams right, and their conversation skills. Not just in the interview, but like in presentation mode, things like that. Well, substantive conversation kind of creates a little mini platform for that because, one, they have to work with other people. They're not talking to themselves. Mm -hmm. It could be small group or with one other person. But also it helps them learn how to hold a conversation. Someone speaks, you listen, you take that in. You're not just waiting to say whatever's on your mind that you really learn how to have a conversation. Sometimes it's also persuasive. Thinking about science, in lab experiments, being able to explain their findings. And persuade others that this is There's a particular way that you should do that. I have had students give a wonderful presentation that had the wrong answer. Mm -hmm. But they were so persuasive and they felt so convicted about it 
the way they gave it to their students. It was like, oh my gosh, that was great, but you're wrong. You know, so it's just, it helps those skills that are not singularly attributed in math or science or social studies. So, so let me ask both of you, kind of in summary, if I'm a teacher that's used to having a preset list of answers I'm listening for, mm-hmm. and I have these open-ended conversations, what's the challenge for me? How should I listen to it? How should I respond? Because it's not about one right answer. Can I say one thing? Sure. I think that what we're mainly looking for in these types of situations is you're listening for their processing. You're listening for how the students are processing the question. So you're listening to see if they're going off track. How are they thinking? How are they thinking about it? And make those small corrections as they go. And not be too critical. But, you know, praise the good and redirect the off, the, the answers that are kind of leading them off track. And to add to that, sure. right quickly, one of the things that has been on the forefront of education for quite some time has been the use, or rather the misuse, and the ability to use vocabulary appropriately in the context. Mm-hmm. So even something as simple as writing, a, you know, seven to ten words on the board and saying, in your conversation with this question, I want to listen for these Please. some of these words mm-hmm. being used. You don't have to use every single one, but you have to pick and choose the words that are most appropriate to give your message right. to the person you're discussing. Absolutely. And don't hesitate to give words that may not quite belong because now you're giving kids choice and you're asking them to actually determine which words are most appropriate. I really feel excited about this because kids are getting a chance, students are getting a chance to think critically, talk, and it doesn't matter whether their answer matches what is the right answer. They're thinking their way through it and they're going to remember these things. Thank you both for the conversation. Thank you for listening to IDRA Class Notes. For more information on IDRA and other Class Notes topics, go to www.idra.org. You can also send us your thoughts by email to podcast at idra.org.